Shalom is the balance between all the forces of life. Shalom holds the continuity between past and present. Shalom is a life lived without aggression or its ensuing damage. We can welcome one another as neighbors and not competitors. We can live in harmony with everybody we meet. This is God's dream, and it is given to us. That's the Reverend Bill Carter, and today he shares a powerful message of faith called Living the Dream. I'm Peter Wallace. It's day one. Welcome to Day One, the weekly program that brings you outstanding preachers from America's historic Protestant churches, sharing insight and inspiration from God's Word for your life. Now to introduce this week's preacher, here's our host, Peter Wallace. Thank you, Sherry. Today on Day One, we're honored to welcome the Reverend William G. Carter, pastor and head of staff of First Presbyterian Church of Clark Summit, Pennsylvania, since 1990. Bill is also a well-known jazz pianist who founded and leads the Presby Bop Quartet, which has a new album out called The Dancing Calvinist. Bill earned a philosophy degree from Binghamton University and his Master of Divinity from Princeton Theological Seminary. The author of numerous books and articles, he speaks and performs regularly at church conferences, workshops, and special events. Bill, welcome to Day One. Hey, Peter. It's great to be back. It's been over three years since you were last with us, so we have some catching up to do. But first, tell us what's happening these days at First Presbyterian Church of Clark Summit. Well, we are reemerging from the pandemic, as most every other church is in the world, and we're trying to engage more and more with the neighborhood. Mm. And uh, very soon we will have a weekend where we have about a dozen different hands-on events, mission mm. events around the community, everything from uh, feeding folks at a community kitchen to sprucing up a cemetery, of all mm. things, uh, to making quilts for the homeless. Lovely. So you served there as pastor for 32 years, which is a long time indeed. How would you characterize this stage of your ministry with the people there? How, how's it different from the early days? Well, I think some of the gloss has uh, been buffed away. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, in the sense that uh, we have gone deeper and wider in mm. the best kinds of ways. Uh, we know one another very well. The church community is full of love. Uh, there is an open embrace to everybody who walks in the doors. And we have made a slow but subtle impact on the, the region around. Uh, we have an arts series that brings in various performing artists mm. over the course of the year that has become very much a part of our mission, as well as the hands-on relief work that we do. We're trying to connect with the nearby city of Scranton, uh, which is only six or seven miles away, mm. so that there's no gulf between our little suburban town mm -hmm. and the community of need. But also looking ever more deeply into what the needs of a suburban community might be, the isolation, the loneliness, uh, the hidden addictions, mm -hmm. um, the stress on families. And uh, we want to offer an alternative to that. Mm-hmm. So, Bill, you have had a vastly creative outlet over three decades with the Presby Bop Quartet, which I can assume is life-giving for you. 
How did your jazz career come about, and, and how has it evolved over the years? Oh, I never could have imagined what I am doing now. I used to think that jazz was something separate from the life of the church huh. and uh, was kind of raised that way. Jazz began through the influence of my mother and my grandmother, hmm. who both listened to it and encouraged me. That's a whole other long story for another extended interview. <laughs> But I had to make a decision when I went to Princeton Seminary if I was going to become a pastor mm. or continue on as a jazz musician. And I realized maybe 10 years after that decision, that was a false dichotomy. Mm. It's not either or, it's both and. And so for 30-some years, I've been working at integrating both parts of my life, both sides of my brain, my right hand and my left hand, <laughs> which is the pianist's chore. And trying to find ways uh, to let jazz animate faith and to find also ways to explore the faith that is implicit in a lot of jazz. Mm. Well, we at Day One love your work, and we use your music regularly on the program. In fact, in recent months, we've been using a beautiful piano piece of yours called Seventh Day at the end of the interview. But the exciting news is that you have a brand new album out called The Dancing Calvinist. I love that title. <laughs> Part of that album is a jazz requiem called Lux Eterna. So how did that all come together? And please explain the title. The Dancing Calvinist. Uh, well, that's the title of one of the songs, the opening song. Mm -hmm. uh, it is actually a resetting and rethinking of a Genevan psalm, Old 42. Mm. Uh, Louis Bourgeois was Calvin's psalm writer, hmm. his psalm composer, who was once jailed for messing with a psalm tune without a license. <laughs> Only got out of jail <laughs> thanks to John Calvin. So we know certainly he was the first, maybe only jazz musician in the Reformation. So we rethink that and... Um, it's it's a wonderful little romp. Mm -hmm. uh, I start with a left-hand Vince Guaraldi little piece, and then on top of that, we begin to add the fun. It's an at least five different key signatures, <laughs> and uh, which uh, we try to play continuously, and mm. and we've noticed that wherever we play it, it animates the room, mm. which is one of the goals with the kind of music I make. Uh, how how can we make a difference? with this tune, with these people at this time. Uh, the Requiem emerged during the pandemic. It mm -hmm. had been mm -hmm. coming in pieces, bits and pieces, but the pandemic gave me some time, space, and reason to begin to shape it, rethink it. I had a choir in, in mind. They consented to singing it with me. We began to work on the parts. Uh, and just over a year ago, we had a concert for the community. It was offered as a gift of consolation for mm -hmm. folks who had felt they had lost a lot, particularly with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And it was very well received. So we went about some fundraising and three months later went into the studio and put together the album in a day and a half. Mm. Well, it's a beautiful piece of work. Uh, you've also launched a new podcast called The Spirit of Jazz. Explain that title for us. Why do you think jazz and faith work so well together? Well, sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't. <laughs> um, the Spirit of Jazz is a, a project that I've been doing with my friend Jeff Kellum, who had a notable radio ministry mm. for many years. Uh, so he has the he has the good voice, and uh, 
what we're exploring is uh, some of my research and thinking and some of his experience of how jazz animates life and also how jazz expresses the fullness of life, both the joy, the eschatological joy, but also the deep pain. And jazz emerges as a music from suffering, Mm. uh, first in the spirituals, but also through hundreds of years of racial Mm -hmm. difficulty in this country. And so I want to explore all of that as a piece, as an expression of what it means to be human. Uh, St. Irenaeus had this wonderful line in one of his writings, and the best translation of it is, um, the glory of God is the person who is completely alive. Mm. So the podcast, the Spirit of Jazz podcast, is going to explore how does jazz bring us alive, Mm. completely aware of pain, but also aware of healing and hope. Mm. Well, you are truly a Renaissance man because you also have been working on a new book. What's it about? Let me guess, jazz. It's about, well, it's called (laughs) Thriving on a Riff, Jazz and the Spiritual Life. Ah. And uh, careful listeners and readers (laughs) will discover that the book and the podcast have some overlap. Okay. So we we start with that. But it's uh, the product of um, a lot of reflection, Mm -hmm. and in the summer of 2021, I received a sabbatical grant with funds from the Lilly Endowment and set about to write up and think about what Mm -hmm. I've been doing for 30 years. And that involved uh, deep research into musicians, uh, the origins of jazz, uh, the difficulties that jazz and creative musicians run into, Mm. um, where healing has happened, and where hope eventually comes from. Um, It's different from a lot of other works in that I'm not trying to use jazz to interpret the gospel, although the gospel is thoroughly within the book. Uh, More, it's how does jazz interpret life and where does the gospel pop up Mm -hmm. as a response to this? Mm -hmm. Um, It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. So, Bill, where can our listeners find out more about your music? Well, there's the the band website, which is presbybop.com, P-R-E-S-B-Y-B-O-P.com. There are links there to the recordings, links there to the Spirit of Jazz podcast. And when I find a publisher, there will be a link (laughs) there to that book. Amen. Well, your sermon today is based on the Old Testament lesson for this Sunday from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 65. Would you read it for us? Certainly. For I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it or the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant that lives but a few days, or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. For one who dies at a hundred years will be considered a youth, and the one who falls short of a hundred will be considered accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. 
for like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be offspring blessed by the Lord and their descendants as well. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. But the serpent, its food shall be dust. They shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Bill, this is such a beautiful and hopeful passage. What struck you as you prepared your sermon? What struck me is this dream, this vision that's given to the prophet, Mm. which is beyond his own experience. And I think the thing I would want all our listeners to hear is that there is a word that comes outside of us that is actually for our benefit and the benefit of all things. Your sermon is titled, Living the Dream. Bill, thanks for sharing it with us. I'm delighted. It's good to be back. When I told someone about the text that I selected, he sniffed and dismissed it, saying Isaiah 65 smells of funeral lilies. I have to agree, this ancient poem resides on the top ten list of readings for a memorial service. It ranks up there with the 23rd Psalm, the 21st chapter of Revelation, and the promise from Jesus to let not your hearts be troubled. And if I'm honest, Someday far in the future, I want someone to read it at my funeral. Yet I don't think for a minute that this is a poem about death. Isaiah gives us a vision for life. It comes near the end of his collection of writings, after many chapters full of pain. Suddenly there is the promise of healing and restoration. God describes a flourishing life for all, If there was trouble, it's interrupted by joy. If there was despair, the burden has been taken away. If anybody was robbed of life, life is given back, with abundance. For the first time in the Bible, Isaiah offers the vision of new heavens and a new earth. Why are they new? Because the old ones are worn out. The Creator of all things promises a new creation— It's a preview for the season of Advent, which begins for us in a few weeks. More than that, it's the promise of a new life that is an alternative to the life we have known. Imagine a world, says the prophet, where everything connects, like a puzzle where all the pieces fit. With vivid colors, Isaiah paints a picture where heaven and earth are one. No more weeping or distress. Life will never be cut short. People will live out the full length of their days. There will be continuity between human dreams and their fulfillment, 
Families will build houses and live in them. Farmers will plant vineyards and taste the wine. Every worker will enjoy their daily labor, and every soul will be thoroughly alive. That's the picture. At the center is an astonishing vision of peace. Predators do not consume, and the prey doesn't hide or run away. The wolf and lamb coexist. The ravenous lion has become a vegetarian and steps up to the feed bin next to the ox. Imagine this, says the prophet Isaiah. Imagine a life where everything fits. This is what God dreams for the world. This is the dream that God implants in the imagination of the prophet Isaiah. This is the dream that emerges to be written down in the Bible, where it is waiting to be rediscovered by every generation and lived with fresh energy. It is a powerful dream, because it is an alternative to most of the stories that actually appear in the Bible. God created a new earth once before, and by page 3 in the book of Genesis, Cain has risen up against his brother Abel. Not long after that, Pharaoh enslaves a whole race of people as his workforce. God comes again to break Israel out of slavery, offering a number of commandments to guide the nation's life, commandments that are regularly broken. The people cry out for a leader, a good leader. Soon, most of their kings and a few of their queens are maneuvering and manipulating their way to greater power, climbing over whoever is in the way. We can't ever dismiss the Bible as a book of fairy tales. No, it offers honest observations about the human animal. We live in a world where good work is met with resistance and the innocent are crucified. And we are reminded of the recurring problem with the human race. God implants within us a dream of peace, yet we keep choosing something less than the dream. We don't need to blame the devil or anybody else for this. No, we are the ones who choose. Every day, some people are demeaned as something less than the image of God that they bear. The weak are plundered, often to increase the profits of the arrogant. Those who are deemed different are dismissed. And everybody is shouting over one another. This is why so many of us regard the Bible as truth. It tells the truth about real people. Yet the Bible also speaks the truth about God. We live because God is patient slow to anger and abounding with steadfast love. And every day we have the opportunity to live out the dream that God has for us. Imagine the wolf and the lamb feeding together. Nobody gets hurt. On God's holy hill there is no destruction, only peace. And God speaks up to make the promise, I will rejoice and delight in my people. One of the reasons why some of us listen to sermons is to catch a glimpse of this grand vision. We connect to one another in faith communities to amplify this dream, which has been planted in our hearts and minds. 
Left to our own devices, we would merely slide back into the mud and muck of chaos and act like wild animals. All progress would be lost. Yet Isaiah 65 says there is an alternative. The alternative is peace. Peace within ourselves, peace between one another. The Hebrew Bible calls it shalom. Shalom is the balance between all the forces of life. Shalom holds the continuity between past and present. Shalom is a life lived without aggression or its ensuing damage. We can welcome one another as neighbors and not competitors. We can live in harmony with everybody we meet. This is God's dream, and it is given to us. We can work on it now or wait until God makes it happen. Either way, it comes as a gift from a new heaven for a new earth. One summer day, I hopped the bus to New York City with one of our daughters. She was a college student studying art, and we wanted to visit a few galleries. It turned out to be a major disappointment. The Metropolitan Museum was closed. The Frick Collection was shut down, and the Guggenheim was undergoing renovations. Every few steps, we heard another siren in the distance. By the boat pond, the little kid was screaming at his mother. A couple of panhandlers tried to shake us down. We were just about ready to call it a day when suddenly we stepped into a quiet grove of elm trees. Three paths intersected in the shape of a teardrop. Before us was a mosaic of black and white stones covered with bouquets of flowers. To our surprise, we had come upon the memorial to the songwriter John Lennon. It's right there by 72nd Street, right across from the apartment building where he had lived. In the center of the mosaic is the title of one of his most famous songs, Imagine. You probably know that song. Lennon sang of a world as Isaiah saw it, a globe without borders, a world without greed or aggression, a community of living beings dwelling together in peace. Right across the street is where an assassin took Lennon's life one night when he returned from a recording session. We paused, drew our breath at the pain of the memory. But there... In that mosaic is the invitation that remains. Imagine. It is a holy invitation. It leads me to make a modest proposal, that we live the dream that God has for us all, that we live as generously and graciously as Jesus, that we set a high standard of how to respect one another, serve one another, and love one another. It's not enough to have the dream. It must also take flesh in what we do with our lives. The first Christians forged the church by living like Jesus as best they could. They didn't take any orders from the Roman Empire. They lived the Isaiah 65 dream. People outside their circle were drawn inside it. They caught a glimpse of how all of us can take part in God's shalom. Even the fiercest critics looked at the church and said, See how much they love one another. 
What if the people in your community could say the same thing about you? What if each of us could treat one another with such respect and compassion that our neighbors said we want to be part of a group like that? Now that would be living the dream. Maybe it starts with small, steady steps that benefit the lives of others, like taking a meal to the woman who just came home from surgery, or introducing ourselves to the neighbors whose names we do not know, or reading a story to a child, or listening to the stories of those older than ourselves, or planting a grove of trees that could outlive us, or offering a safe haven to someone in danger. Shalom always begins by offering an act of kindness. I think of the woman who heard a strange noise in her neighborhood. It had been a difficult week in her town, an election week full of all the political bluster of November. A loud noise erupted outside her home, and she went to see what it was. And it was a man with a leaf blower working his way down her street. He doesn't live nearby, but he was clearing all the leaves from everybody's yard. Somebody asked, why are you doing this? He replied, it's been a difficult week, and this is a way to offer some goodness and blessing. Imagine that. Imagine shalom. Let us pray. Holy and loving God, do not allow us to be so consumed by the aggressions of this world that we cease to see what you imagine for us all. Implant within us a vision of your peace and well-being and make that vision so attractive, enticing, and beautiful that we will work for it until the day when you make all things new. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Our preacher today was the Reverend Bill Carter, Senior Pastor of First Presbyterian Church of Clark Summit, Pennsylvania. For a free transcript of his sermon, Living the Dream, call us at 404-815-9110. That's 404-815-9110. Or write to us at Day 1, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. Day 1 depends on the financial donations of our faithful listeners. Please consider supporting our ministry with a generous gift. We appreciate it. This is Peter Wallace. Next week on Day One, we're delighted to welcome the Reverend Matthew Gaventa, Senior Pastor of University Presbyterian Church in Austin, Texas. His inspiring sermon is called Best Position Player. Please join us next time on Day One.
We're going to end our program today with a piece from the sublime new jazz album by Bill Carter and the Presby Bop Quartet, which our day one preacher, Bill Carter, leads. The album is called The Dancing Calvinist, and it features the jazz requiem entitled Lux Eterna. But first, Bill, let me ask you to offer us a final thought. What's one thing from your sermon today that you hope our listeners will carry with them in the days ahead? God desires that we live in joy, peace, and fulfillment. And if we can keep that clear in our minds, maybe all of us can work a little bit more toward it. Amen. Bill Carter, thank you for being with us. It's great to be here. Thanks, Peter. Into love, everlasting.
Day One is the voice of America's mainline Protestant churches. Visit us online at dayone.org. Thank you for joining us. I'm Sherry Miller wishing you all God's blessings on Day One and forever. Thank you.